Welcome to the Agency Podcast. Eugene here, your agent in Toronto. And Candy here, your agent in Tennessee. Tennessee! <laughs> Man, we just can't keep track of you. I know. I didn't want you to look at the back of my TV too much, my camera here, and it would blow it because I like surprising you. Well, I saw you were in an unusual room and I was facing myself. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm here doing some sewing lessons, some sewing tutorials. All right. Is, is yeah. that uh, taking or teaching? Taking. <laughs> because I only did use the manual, as I said, maybe I said last week or the week before, I've been practicing using a sewing machine. And um, I can get some straight lines, but I am intimidated by the sewing machine. I use the manual online to learn how to thread. So I'm very proud of myself. I, I can thread the machine and I can fill a bobbin. All right. If yeah. I knew what a bobbin was. Uh, well, the bobbin is the part that goes underneath the main thread. And it's on a little tiny spool. And it goes underneath the needle um, apparatus. And when you turn the um, machine, the top thread catches the bottom thread. So it stays sewn together. You need two threads to sew in a sewing machine. Oh. Whereas you need one thread and one needle to sew on by hand. And someone with a steadier hand than mine. <laughs> I have several items of clothing made by hand, and they are whimsical. <laughs> <laughs> Whimsically sold. So, yeah, so I drove down here yesterday in a big rainstorm for about two hours, and then the heat index, I think, is 110. It's wow. a heat wave down here in Tennessee. So we are indoors. We went out and ran errands this morning. That's why I couldn't start till 2. And I ran around doing some errands and now here in a nice air-conditioned room to do the podcast with you. All right. Yeah. I'm pretty excited because I've got a bunch of different weird fabric and I'm really excited to try and see what we can do. What kinds of things do you want to sew? Uh, I'm going to say resort wear. <laughs> All right. Whatever that oh, cool. is. Beach clothes, beach wear. Oh, beach clothes. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I'm not exactly sure what beach clothes are because I don't go to beaches. Right. Well, I grew up hanging out on beaches, so I have a um, kind of a nostalgia about things you wear around the beach. My grandmother used to do this thing at her summer camp. She would take towels and she would sew my sister and I little jackets to wear after we get out of the lake. Nice. <laughs> so you put on, and they'd have little pockets. So you'd put on this cozy terry cloth. Oh yeah, jacket like a robe. So like it's a, like a robe, like a robe, but with buttons. Cool. So you could do it up and stay very cozy on your way back to the inside. You know, if you were cold at night. That's really nice. So nice. And if it I just, went to beaches, I'd want one of them. Then you could be my first customer. <laughs> <laughs> I have not sourced the terry top cloth fabric yet. Uh -huh. It might be out of something else. We'll see. So, are you thinking? Is this going to be a? Uh, um, Another uh, another tentacle in the Candy Minx empire? It could be. It could be. I mean, also, I have to wait and see how, how they come out and if I have a knack for it or, you know, and also I, I, could, outsource, it, yeah. I could outsource some sewing, right? If oh, it well, yes. You know it's big business when you start outsourcing your That's your right. Sewing. 
So if anybody wants to pre-order Mystery Beachwear, please feel free to um, <laughs> you know reach out to our Patreon page. <laughs> All right. We'll figure something out. Um, well, I've been gardening. Oh, good for you. Why? For two reasons. One, I can't wait. We have the Long Branch Garden Tour is back after oh a God. pandemic hiatus. Yes. It's going to take place on June the 25th. So if you're in the Toronto area, come on down, make a make a day of it. Long Branch is in the uh, the bottom left-hand corner of the amalgamated Toronto. Right. If you went any further west, you'd stumble into Mississauga. You don't think you'd fall off the edge of the world? Well, you might. <laughs> okay, We're close and to the lake as it is. And there's some good joints to eat there. Yes, there so are. You there's can get there's some several refreshments. On you the know, we like to say it's cooler by the lake. It is cooler by the lake. Yeah. Yeah. In every respect. Yeah. So the last time we did it, we were the biggest free garden tour in the country with wow. 43 gardens, speakers, kids activities. Well, it's scaled back this time. Um, there's no speakers, no kids activities, because it's it's harder to plan when you don't know what the pandemic is going to do. Yeah, so it's true. hard to plan way ahead of yeah. time. So the idea this year was to do a slightly scaled back version, but still there's over 30 gardens. Wonderful. So uh, uh, maps to the gardens are available from some of the gardeners as well. All the businesses in Long Branch that have a Long Branch garden tour poster in the window can also give you a map. Great. And, um, and you could also stop in and get a coffee or some treats or an ice cream cone or whatever mm -hmm. um, while you're in, the, in our little community. Uh, you could uh, take public transit down here from the uh, the subway right to Kipling and then south on Kipling. And yeah. then you could walk from there. There's uh, bike rentals right up on Lakeshore. So that's a great way to, to do the, the garden tour is to really drive good. around yeah. on a bicycle. Um, or you could just drive around <laughs> from spot to spot. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we're getting our garden ready for that. And then the folks who are organizing it this year reached out to city TV to try to get some uh, promotion. Oh, good. And um, they decided that, uh, that breakfast television would send Frankie flowers to one of the gardens okay. to do the weather. Great. And that's happening on Thursday and it's happening from our garden. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So, so yeah, <laughs> a, a city TV truck will be, will be pulling up. And Too fun. Uh, and uh, Frankie will do um, in a between five thirty and nine thirty. He does several weather hits, and wow. he'll be doing doing the weather hits from different parts of the garden, and he'll promote the garden tour for us. So great! So that's pretty cool. So we're trying to make the garden as perfect as possible. So we've been doing oh, you have lots what? and lots of work on it. So you have three more days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and and plus, city's going to be here at. 5 30 in the morning oh, you Thursday. did say 5 30 i forgot you'd have to be influenced by that you'd have to be up and at up, up are you gonna have coffee in the kitchen and some baked goods um i believe that um one of the gardeners is going to come by with some home baked baked goods and nice we'll coffee nice so but anyone listening spoil, if you want to find out where uh eugene lives just drive around looking for that city tv city truck. tv truck exactly <laughs> On beautiful 27th Street. So that's okay. kind of exciting. It's, it's very uh, exciting. You know, the last time I saw...
saw Frankie Flowers do weather broadcasts was when I was working for Canada Post and oh. we invited him to come during Christmas uh, and do the weather from the Gateway Parcel Facility where we were processing Christmas parcels. Ah. Oh, and that was lots of fun. Oh, that's pretty cool. So does he, are you going to remind him that you know him? Uh, I don't know. Oh, you're going to be yeah, like I might Elf mention it. when he but sees you know, Santa. I know him. <laughs> As I recall, he was a very nice fellow. Good. Uh, he made time for different employees who wanted to have a word with him, which oh. is, I, I consider that to be really nice. I agree. Yeah. Um, although in my years doing Canada Post events, the nicest person uh -huh. that uh, we worked with, that I, that I got to work with was mm. Tommy Hunter. We did Tom, you know, the country singer. I'm, had, I'm, I'm so dead silent because I'm kind of shocked. Yes, the yes, Tommy Hunter show. Tommy yes, Hunter for years show. and years and years. Of course. Well, we did a Tommy Hunter stamp. Wow. And he's retired back to London, Ontario. Oh. So we went to the main uh, retail outlet in London, Ontario, and Tommy Hunter came in. <laughs> and um, and we sold the stamp products and he signed everybody's stamp products. Oh, and, that is wonderful. And I'll tell you, he stayed at the end until he had a chance to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with every single person who came who wanted to meet him. Oh, and I thought, lovely. what a class act, you know? How lovely. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, we're going to have to share some Tommy Hunter videos if we can find some. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I forgot about Tommy Hunter in my whole existence. When you said it, I'm traveling back to my grandma's camp. Hey, you know, again. I believe that my, my fiddle teacher was, uh, Cindy Thompson was on the Tommy Hunter show once. Wow. And they had a great resident fiddler on, on that show too, uh, Al Cherney. How long did that show be on TV? Oh, it was on forever. <laughs> I, mean, I just don't remember it not being on until it wasn't anymore. That is but I don't know, true. He, he probably had 30 years of it. I don't yeah. know. It was yeah. on for just forever. Yeah. Too funny. Pretty well, you've got a very exciting week. Uh, yeah, but also I'm working in the garden. And yeah. you know what I did? In the back of the garden, um, I had... A couple of years ago, I had made a little kind of school of shaky carpentry deck back there. Uh -huh. And I, it didn't get much use because it was a little bit too shaky. <laughs> and I decided I would uh, add some wood to it to bolster it and make it uh, make it a little bit more useful. And so I um, I bought some two by fours and I strengthened that puppy up a little bit. And it's now a really nice place for me to uh, to practice the fiddle from. I was just about to ask: Are you going to be doing a little practicing during all the filming and everything, or the? Well, not reports? not when City's here, that's for sure. Oh. <laughs> uh, but but uh, I believe during the garden tour, um, uh, my buddy Ted is going to come over, and we're going to play some music from. Damn, the band. are you going to play banjo and fiddle? I just might. Fantastic! That's wonderful. Oh, Although good. if I play fiddle, it should be towards the end when people are leaving anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you want to encourage people to leave the party. Right. right. At 3 a.m. You want to get the last of the drugs. Out. Yeah. <laughs> great stuff. I love it. I love it. I love it. So I think, Candy, this is the week of yeah. the music documentary. I know. We really went at it, didn't we? Yes, we did. And uh, with some pretty interesting uh, results. Definitely. Uh, so you suggested I watch What Drives Us. Yes. 
and that would be Bands in Vans. Bands in Vans, exactly. Yeah. Directed and, by Dave Grohl. Of the Foo Fighters. Um, and and other bands. Yeah. And Nirvana. Yeah. And yeah. I suggested you watch one of my very favorite, favorite singers ever, Mary J. Bly, My Life, her documentary. Yes. And so I watched yeah. that. Great. And as well, at your suggestion, I started watching uh, a Netflix series called Voices of Fire, oh, yeah. which is all about the auditioning of people for a church community gospel choir. Yes. Wow, yeah. is it ever riveting? It's riveting. It's chill, chills down the spine. Oh, I know. It's... I tell you, if I'm going to watch this whole series, Candy, I'm going to have to get like five or six boxes of Kleenex. Yeah, we both Cause, are. Because first of all, you know, when I'm used to watching the like the pop star shows where half the people who come and audition can't carry a tune. Well, <laughs> these people, everybody who shows up can not only carry a tune, they can do vocal acrobatics. Yeah. Not only that, but there's there's like one woman who has one ear. Yeah. There's one guy who has one arm. Yeah. It's like people with all kinds of abilities and disabilities and yeah. unique characteristics uh are are uh, taking part in this and they're all fantastic they're all fantastic let's tell everybody basically it starts out and it's got some great camera work you know that drone comes floating right up on this church entrance and uh the outside of this building and it's a kind of a trendy 1960s church it's um in the south of the united states and the fellow it's in virginia it, isn't it pardon i think it's virginia thank you it's in virginia and the fellow doing it is a minister and his a minister Williams. And he has a very famous nephew called Pharaoh Williams, who grew up in the church and has is a huge, huge hip hop star. And so it's being produced by the two of them. And he's always had a dream. The, 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 the pastor Williams has had a dream to have like the world's greatest gospel group. And he wants people from around the world to come and see it. And I thought, wow, what a wonderfully ambitious um, puzzle he's made for himself. So he, he, he plays music himself, but then he had a calling to be a minister. And then obviously a choir is the best of both worlds. He's got all of that happening. And, and he's so, assembled a group of, of oh, judges. People, judges to help to help him choose who was going to be in the choir. And one guy is like a choir master. He's a very charismatic choir oh, master. Personality and then there's plus. This, this woman who led this gospel choir for like 20 years, yep. who has like a zillion crazy wigs. Oh, she's never even is, seen. She's got a different, different hair. She looks on. amazing. Yeah, she's got it's, a million different looks. And um, a pr pr what's her name, Prit? Oh my God, I, I forgot her name. I'm sorry, I don't have Patsy the name. Patsy Brill, maybe? Oh, I forgot her name. I'll find it. She's a, a famous gospel singer. And um, then the, so the, and then the minister is also one of the um, judges. And Farrell comes in and is involved too. So they audition. I think it's on the first or second episode. They audition. They call. They want to get 75 people. Well, they have 3,000 people respond. They pick 300 of them. And every one of them is freaking amazing. They now they're yeah, like, the, let's the tear the walls of, down. The quality of musicianship among the singers who want to take part in this church choir is 
crazy high compared to what oh. you would see in like an American Idol kind of thing. Well, very, very true. Um, so I guess that's part of the shock. It's just that, and and one of the, the taglines or one of the messages is that he feels, the minister feels that um, this whole area has produced some really incredible performers and he feels that there's something intrinsic in his area that's producing this and he wants to to um focus on that so i'm trying to find his his name here and i've got the wikipedia page and it does not have his name or or her name as one of the judges so it's obviously i'm glad we're talking about it because i don't think it's caught on yet this show um it's been out for a while but i um I don't know what the kind of response is. So I really, it's a couple years old. I do recommend it's, people go to find it. It's pretty compelling. Um, yes. There's a lot of interesting things about it. And one of them is that gospel music is a kind of music that is tremendously focused. And to get it that focused, it has a lot of conventions. Yeah. We like it sung this way. You must have lots of vibrato in your voice. Right. Um, you they're looking for people who have a lot of personality in their voice. Uh, they're looking for people who are um, from all over the place, like culturally diverse. They want to have a choir that's really culturally right. diverse. And I thought that was fantastic, too. Um, and they're really open to people who have um, handicaps and disabilities of yeah. different sorts. Yeah. You know, like there's one woman. I mean, I only seen a bit of it, but there's one woman who came on. She doesn't leave her house because she has this like anxiety disorder. Anxiety disorder. But when she sings, it goes away. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fantastic. And, and so she wants to join the choir. Right. And the choir master, he hears her sing two words. And he goes, "You're fine. Thank you," because it's so good. He doesn't have to hear any more words. Okay, it's Bishop Ezekiel Williams. How could I forget that? And um, I'm looking now for her name. I, I thought it was Patsy Brill, but I, I want to be sure. Oh, well, I can't, I can't find it right now. Um, oh, so yeah, so what's great is that um, they're really letting them sing. There's someone who I think she's in the military and she sings um, at a James. And um, oh, was that the woman who really sings in the really low register? Yes. Oh my. Yes, and she that snaps her finger. Yeah, yeah, and and you're right because then there's also a female tenor, and they're so excited that there's a female tenor. I I, I just noticed in on um, Google that they performed at the 2021 Super Bowl. So oh. I don't remember that at all. So you know, there you go. I must have. Well, there's probably some stars there too, and that's what yeah. we remember is distracting us. Yeah, so I do um, really recommend the show. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch it play out. I think so I'm on episode four. It's it's quite interesting to compare the shows that, that we've watched. Uh, this one is driven by a tremendous focus on the specific kind of music, mm -hmm. on having the vocal chops yes. to be able to handle it and the personality to carry it off. That's right. Uh, they and, do want personality. Yes. But it's all focused through Jesus. Yes. yes. Which is also, I have a little bit of, of difficulty with that in that some of the politics around the, the evangelical churches in America scare the heck out of me. Um, <laughs> although they seem to be fine people, you know? Yes. Uh, I think that's so, very specific regional churches. 
I would call that I would consider this one in Virginia to be part of the um, at risk at risk areas for maybe hate crimes. Ah, um, you know, I'm not sure, but I think I think that that I think it's too. Um, you're right, but I think that's more white evangelical churches tend to have fundamentalist belief. I could totally be wrong. And uh, I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about um, evangelical Christianity, really. Although I do dig the music. Yeah, me too. And maybe we'll learn while we're watching this. Exactly. So I definitely definitely make me feel the spirit when they sing. I feel it. Hell yeah. So so if you compare it to um, what what's the driving force in what drives us? Mm -hmm. It's not religion. Mm -hmm. But it is a certain kind of spirituality. Absolutely. I'm going to call it a cowboy spirituality. The desire to get out there and be free. Okay. Right. To live, to find a way to live free and to see, to see the world. And I would call it probably new age spirituality, Uh, but that works too. Almost, almost everybody they talk to and they follow, they follow a couple of young bands, Radke and, Mm -hmm. um, What's the other one? Uh, uh, Starcrawler. Yeah. Uh, but as well, Dave Grohl talks to a yeah, number of men with one name. Yeah, let's, let's set this up. So what drives us is directed by Dave Grohl, as we said. And his premise is that what's the deal with the bands and their van life? That you have to go through this grueling experience of cramming your bodies, too many people into too small a space with your equipment and you're going out on the road. So that's kind of what he wants to talk about in this documentary. And and so he talks with these young musicians who are trying to find whatever that is. Yeah. But he also talks with all kinds of well-known musicians, including, as I mentioned, um, people, white men with, with one name, Mr. Slash, Mr. The Edge and Mr. Flea, Uh, Brian Johnson of ACDC, uh, Ringo Starr, Steven Tyler, uh, Lars Ulrich of Metallica. Yep. So these, they're rocker dudes, mostly. Yeah, and there's there rocker dudes. There was a shortage of females, I thought. Yes, there However, were some. They do have Jennifer Finch from L7 and St. Vincent, who I love. Yes. And um, Exine. But it's very much a rocker mentality. But almost all of them, when asked about why they wanted to become musicians if first of all it wasn't driven by the music most of these people came and said i ever played any music i just wanted to go out and live this life and see the world see america uh meet people uh, uh, live free and <laughs> one way to do it was to learn a few chords on this guitar and try oh. to connect with other people who are trying to do the same thing so in some ways, it's similar to the gospel show in that they're looking for their tribe. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's kind of similar. But it's a, it's a much different kind of spirit that the rocker dudes are, are going after. And Dave Grohl seems to be selling the idea of paying your dues. You got to pay yeah. your dues in the van. Yeah. And that, that leads to some funny interviews when you've got someone from uh, Metallica who never ever hit the road in a van they became famous yes yeah and he was never in another band either no and these guys many of them are in several bands that that have terrible falling out or people die or you know they quit Um, well interestingly enough i mean dave grohl was one of 
one of the few rocker warriors of his generation uh-huh. who managed to not be junkies along the way, not have serious drug habits. Dave Grohl, maybe, yeah. but everybody else did. But that's what I'm saying is like, yeah. he, well, we he managed know. to navigate his way through that world without being a heavy drinker or a drug user. It's, it's just a, it's a curiosity in that yeah. world. Yeah. Where I, I think the, the hard partying is sort of endemic. I think Dave comes across as, um, and, and I've seen him in a number of documentaries and interviews, basically really. Um, family guy, really family nice guy. guy. And he wants to be, he's a bonder. He wants to be with his brothers. He wants to have fun. All of them want to hang out and be with each other. Yes. That's super important. Um, and and they're bonding and in, in good ways and bad ways on the road. And you're right. There uh, definitely, there's going to be um, substance abuse. Um, and he just was lucky. He must not have been an addictive type personality. He's, he's almost kind of like, you know, the rocker that's, yeah, the family guy, the nice guy. It's not that he's not, the other guys aren't not nice. They're very nice. They just had, they accidentally kept falling on needles, <laughs> yeah, you know? Exactly. And uh, I want to say hi to Trisha because I was bugging her to see this movie because she just saw the Foo Fighters right before Taylor Hawkins passed away. Ah. So, yeah. So that was very sad when he died. Um, and shitty for Dave Grohl, who already lost Kurt Cobain, you know? Um, and then I like how they just say, well, why are you going to keep playing? Aren't you going to retire? Why would you live like this? This was a young person's game. And St. Vincent, a brilliant musician, she says, play till you die. You know, and um, Flea, why do you do this? They asked the bass player to Red Hot Chili Peppers, why are you doing this? He goes, well, the short answer is really, the answer is simple, love. Um, they are the new age kind of on the road warriors, almost like the rainbow family. You know, he said he wanted to go out and on the road and meet all the people that he had things in common with and other people and, and share ideas. You know, you think about it, you're in these towns for one night, you stay up late, you're meeting other young people, you're talking about art and movies and hooking up your party. You know, it's got to be an incredible amount of fun. I bet you it's fun for six months. <laughs> You know, um, but the, I don't know how challenges can... is that trick of um, many, many singer songwriters say they have a lot of trouble writing on the road. They have to get off so that they can't make a new album, you know, write more stuff. Some do write on the road. Mm-hmm. We've seen we've seen video of people writing songs on a train. It happens. Um, they all have a relationship with their fans. Uh, which is really a lot of fun and they don't want to give up. I'm just looking at my notes. Um, yeah, I thought it was very, very good movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, I would have liked more women. I thought he, but what was cool was that it was obvious Dave picked his friends and people he had connections with, and they were almost all bands that could sell out a stadium at some point. And he says something very interesting about that. The, the one, just before you, you, you follow up on that, the one person who just fit in with that, exactly. He didn't fit in with the crowd. From yes. the Preservation Hall jazz band. Yes. Well, that's a whole other life, isn't it? And that's, that's a, not a that's not a traveling around in a van. That's that's studying from a boy and playing the same tunes every day until you're 90. Right. And who I've seen in in New Orleans. I've seen the band, I've seen him, and I've seen the that group play a couple of times. But what's interesting about it is you're still a dancing chicken. 
you still have to get up on that stage, whether you're in that road or not, and get out there. And you've got tourism. You've got you've got how many gigs a night are they playing that that yeah. uh, preservation um, hall? I'm glad they're there, and I don't want to insult anybody that they're you know they have to produce that music hour after hour after hour. Uh, day after day after day for tourism and i mean in that way it does have something to in common with the guys in the van um why do you think um the divas and musicians when they can take a vegas gig why do they take it they take it because they can stay in one place for a few months sure you know you've got celine dion and britney spears they can send their kids to school and see them every night for supper well, and there's something to that having yeah. some some part of your life which isn't always traveling. Right. You know, like you know, Dave Grohl is selling the romance in a way of the uh, driving around in the van with your bandmates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's uh, it's got to be an exhausting life. Absolutely. As well, and, and I mean, half that's the time, do you even know what comes in handy? Well, and that's sure. where cocaine comes in handy. You know. I mean, at least cocaine's organic. It's not particularly hard on most of your body. I suppose after uh, numbers of years, it would be hard on your heart. I don't know what this whole science is about that. But it, it is, um, you know, you can see why people would want some caffeine in their life or some jolt. Um, I liked, I, there was something very interesting that gave me kind of a chills. Um, and it's near the end of the documentary. And they're, it, and it goes to what you're saying about Dave is selling the romance. Maybe Dave wants to preserve this lifestyle because there's something that happens while they're bonding in these fans. They get puzzle solving down where they have usually one or two of the people are able to figure out how you get all this equipment and a mattress and you lay down and you take turns driving and you eat and travel between cities that somehow that is actually making the band stay together longer too. Uh, he seems to maybe be suggesting that, that they are, you know, they're making this um, siblinghood, you know, um, whereas Flea says, there's no new bands coming up from that culture. And Flea's thing said he noticed coincidentally that once they put the barriers in those big stadiums at the front by the mosh pit, um, we don't have, there's no bands after that heiress doing this um in the van, on the road, doing arena rock. I don't uh, maybe it's just that arena rock isn't so interesting to young people anymore. Oh, it's not. I mean, the hipsters are doing their own music. They're playing fiddle and banjo and playing in their own bands and having um, neighborhood parties as far as, you know, the little I know about it. And I don't know very much about what kids are doing these days. Um, you know, it's weird for me because I always, always loved going to my dance clubs. And there's so few dance clubs in Chicago now, not just because of the pandemic. They just were, that's just not what kids are doing. They're going, if they're doing dancing, they're doing uh, barn dances, right? I can handle like, about and, 11 seconds in a dance club. I know. Well, it's not for everybody. No, it's not. It's, it's not, not for everybody. Me. It's not and, for me. I can't handle the environment. Yeah. Um, it's, I feel, um, I can't handle what the uh, what the the pounding baseline does to me. Um, I can't handle the isolation of it. Oh, I feel yeah. like I'm I I'm lost in in hundreds of people. Yeah, uh, and, well, and I can't. That's part of the attraction. Uh, Those things maybe. are part of the attraction for me. Those, but that, that's obviously so, not for me. 
No, but so there you go, right? And, um, but you know, the thing I was thinking about was that those barriers, they're preventing the mosh pit and the dancers from getting on the stage and having hands on the band. And that that's almost like a primal passing. That would be that new age spiritualism again, or cowboy spiritualism, if you like, of your passing that baton onto your fans to you play music and you come and do this because they also often talked about the bands. Edge said that there was bands he went to shows he went to when he was 16 and 17 that changed his life. Sure. And then I wonder how many can us, of us can say that there were bands after those ages that changed concerts that changed our lives. Is it something that we only open ourselves up to when we're young or do we still have that paradigm shift when we go see a concert? Where we're just like, okay, now I have to live my life this way. I don't know. I can't think of a, a of a music show I've seen that changed my life in any kind of. Yeah, I probably saw I saw a bunch of punk bands in BC and Victoria that I just was like so crazy about, but they weren't famous. They were like local punk bands, and I can't. I, the Clash changed my life, but I had already changed it by the time I saw them live. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, but I definitely, you know, I saw Cecil, Cecil Taylor. I mean, that was a mind blowing concert that I felt like I'm not going to be the same after that. Something changed in me. Um, you know, David Bowie, but I was already like a David Bowie fan. Sure. You know? um, I definitely had powerful experiences of love at many, many concerts, you know, like Bruce Springsteen, Madonna, David Bowie, The Clash, where it was fighting tears almost. I was so excited to see them and so profoundly feeling connected to their music and seeing them live. Uh, which would lead us into the other music uh, documentary we watched this week almost. Yes. Could be a good stepping stone. Yes, and it's a documentary um, about... Uh... Well, Mary J. Bly's life and her performance of her album, My Life. Yes, which was a, a groundbreaking album. She, I wish I'd gone on that tour. I remember when she went on tour for the 25th anniversary of My Life. Um, her album was, one, was the first album to have guest rappers on every song. So she's like so innovative and so profound, really one of the um, greatest, greatest singers at all alive for sure or ever and she um is going down memory lane of making my life in the interviews she's talking about how they felt uh she worked with puff and he was a producer and they both had a terrible they were young they were in their 20s and they were young and they both had broken hearts and that mary was singing about that pain of separation and abandonment so profoundly and that they were saved by telling the truth in that album, both of them. I thought his interviews in that, in that movie were really cool, really cool. We talked in uh, What Drives Us about substance abuse. Uh -huh. Well, it comes up in, uh, in this film as well. Mm -hmm. uh, she mentions several times that um, she, well, she was drinking and taking various drugs before being discovered. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, but her tremendous success led to taking more alcohol and more drugs. Yeah, yeah, for sure. As she, you know, I know before this, I knew that she was 
Um, she had actually quit drinking at one point. I mean, or at least moved into like having champagne at New Year's around the time she got married, which was quite a long time ago, because she realized she woke up one day and looked around and a lot of people around her were just spending her money on the party. And she was like, wait, where did this happen? How do I find me again? You know, where am I in this? And she definitely, um, you know, I appreciate her honesty saying she was using cocaine and drinking a lot. Um, and uh, just to keep going and, and to write songs and to find her creative juices. And, um, and it was also, it sounds a lot like it was, she was still in the denial of what was the initial pain. Because when you're broken up with a boyfriend, that pain is bad enough. But if you have any abandonment issues from your family life or your childhood, that's really what that is about. You know, and she did talk about her dad, that they had separated. It was very hard. It was very difficult. I mean, she said her, she wouldn't go into a lot of detail, um, but she she'd had sexual abuse in her life. And um, she didn't go into a lot of detail about anything. No, and she, she told us she wasn't going to. She um, was funny because we watch her be in an interview in 1994 or 91 even. She looks so baby-faced. And she's looking at her and she goes, I protect that Mary. That's my daughter. That's my girl, that my baby. And um, she says, I was pissed off in that interview. The interviewer's asking me details and I'm not going to give her any of them. And then we find out we're not, we're not going to get those. We can get them from the music. The music does represent... I guess um, total I, struggle and heartbreak. I uh, I had some trouble with the style of this film. Hmm. Um, it was put together very much like uh, a music video. Um, the way the edits were done, um, I I it felt to me kind of like the her industry was getting together to help reboost her career. No, I don't think her career's ever waned. She's really one of the top selling popular people on the planet. I mean, I don't think her career's, I, I can see why that might appear that way. I don't think her career's ever been in danger. Um, I think that the 25th, I guess it was because it was such a, a world blowing your mind album, my life, that um, doing that is an honor. Um, and I think that she has stayed private. Um, she was married. She's not married now. She has kept that kind of privacy as a person, as a performer, and with a rotten childhood. Um, you know, who was in there, right? Shug was in that in the documentary from uh, Hustle and Flow, Taheji P. Henson. Ah. She was one of the people being interviewed. Um, I'm just looking here for some more stuff. Yeah, I didn't mind that. I liked it. I thought the animation was good where they animated her childhood. They had a lot of photos. It was slick. It was, yeah, it was slick. It was slick. There were a lot, I mean, visually it was interesting, but I didn't really learn very much about her except that some men from a record company uh, <laughs> discovered her and, and uh, threw some promotion her way. And she wrote some really good songs and people really responded to her singing and um, uh, uh, her use of uh, R and B singing and hip hop and, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. rapping together. Uh, I learned a little bit about that because I don't really know too much about that. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I thought that was that was pretty good, but I didn't really learn. Well, I would recommend people watch it just for the fashion. 
<laughs> there are some I mean, great fashion. Mary J. Sure. Blythe always looks good. Always looks good. Um, some of her stage um, costumes were incredible in those uh, the, the cuts to the stage. Um, I thought they were amazing. It sort you know, of it in, sort of comes down to long, long hair, short, short, shorts. <laughs> Not a bad formula at all. Um, you know, in a way, I found hers. If we're talking about these three move, these three documentaries, in a way, hers is a marriage of the the huge stadium performer with the gospel roots music. Although all the music is gospel roots, all rock and roll is gospel roots. So, gospel married to. Uh, did she sing gospel? Folk we don't know. No, she never sang gospel. As far as I know, I don't think she went. She's. I don't think she was uh, a church. So the story that that we we do learn is that she recorded a song at some kind of record your own song studio, like at the mall. And, yeah, at the mall. Yeah, I think somebody said, "Oh yeah, I was at the mall," and so yeah. she did that and. Uh, it got passed around and somebody sent it to Buddy from the record company and he went down there right away with his fancy clothes. Yes. And she thought, oh my God, he's not going to be safe in this neighborhood dressed like that. <laughs> yeah. She was in Yonkers, I think, right? I think so. Well. But obviously not a super rich part and, he was and, coming dressed to the nines. Right. And then he asked her to sing in the room and with her family in front of him there. And he, you know, blown away. It wasn't just for the, the mall CD. She really had pipes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, yeah, obviously she's very talented. Yeah. Yeah, so actually, that inspired me to get her new album, actually. Ah. Yeah. It, it's fun to see these really diverse approaches to mm -hmm. essentially the music business mm -hmm. and how people are living and surviving within that kind of world mm -hmm. um in in one case it's uh it's all for jesus mm -hmm. it's all for the church um mm -hmm. although at the same time the pastor clearly has plans to take this show on the road oh yeah like right from the <laughs> beginning he said we're gonna be touring man oh yeah international touring and i mean definitely it could be a destination you know, I, I went to Al Green's church in Memphis and um, his choir and his his um, services are mind blowing. Fantastic. So, you know, I can see them getting a lot of people going, too. And also, you know, of course, for me, between these three things. There was some crossover that, you know, life is hard. Life is suffering. And art does make life more fun. And there's relief from that suffering in being a creative person. Um, almost everybody said the best part was, you know, performing with your fans, see, playing the music, writing the music, coming out of darkness. Um, both the, all the gospel singers, the other nice thing is that they all have, they give them a few minutes to tell their story. Who are they? Where did they yes, come and from? They all seem to have a story. They all seem to have a story. Like no one just said, do. well, I, I had an okay childhood and went to school and I sing on the side and uh, let's do it. No, 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 no. It's I have one ear and, um, you know, there's stories about my parents, stories about my family. There's all kinds of crazy stories. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of them, you bring out the Kleenex, man. It's, uh, yeah. Some, yeah. some of these people have been through a lot yeah uh, and they're coming to this music and they're coming to this music with tremendous focus and skill mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's amazing. One woman, she said, look, I had to take care of my kids. Then I had to take care. Then my husband gets sick. And I gave up my dream of being a gospel singer. Now it's my time. Exactly. Yeah. So there was all kinds of level from, from of sacrifice or not being able to live your dream and your passion. And I definitely come away from all three of these movies is that it's so important to keep on going. Keep play till you die. Yeah. You know, keep you know the, God, you the gospel one reminds me a little bit of that British choir show. Um, oh, where they have I the workplace choirs right, and, I forgot about that and the guy's a he's this choir master and he goes yeah. to the different workplaces and so yeah. you have like the firehouse choir and you right. have the people who run the ferry and they all work on their own choir and then they can compete that yeah. was a delightful show i love yeah, that yeah i did too i completely forgot about it yeah and, and you know i i never thought of myself as someone who liked choir music but mm. it's really quite compelling oh yeah you know, and, and part of it, I mean, they talk about in Voices of Fire is you're creating harmonies, you're creating chords with the different voices mm. that you have available. Um, and that's where that's where the magic is. Mm. And I forgot to say last week, well, two things that Steg reminded me of. First of all, Steg uh, watched Drive, What Drives Us with us. And both of us had seen a number of the bands included in that movie. Um, and he had seen Radke the three young black kids. Oh yeah. He'd seen them play. And he said, when he saw them, he felt like it was an honor to be in their presence. They're wow. so good. They're so good. And then he reminded me that um, the difference between blues and gospel in the blues, you say, baby in gospel, you say Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and that was BB King. Right on. Yeah. So well, there's a difference. And when I was at Al Green's church, um, a few years ago where Al Green, a big singer, Reverend Al Green, he has a church. Um, and I was with two Australian friends from a Cormac McCarthy uh, conference. And um, one of them leans over and goes, Candy, where does the church begin and the theater end? And I said, yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it because to me, it makes... I mean, it just makes so much more, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's, you know, every, uh, so many um, spiritual and mystical practices, sp specifically mystical, um, using the body as an instrument is, is such an important, it's a, it's a form of practice and meditation. You have uh, the Orthodox Christians who do the Jesus prayer all day long. And then you have um, Tibetan monks who chant. And actually all Buddhists, we all, we all chant. And, um, you know, you just think of that and then gospel singing, it makes sense that it's, you've got that part where you, you kind of leave your ego behind when you're singing because you're just giving into that uh, feeling, you know, and you're, you're trying to get there. You know, back in that short period, uh, I call my wild years in the, in the <laughs> 80s, I think it was about 25 minutes. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was living on, on Ossington Avenue in a storefront and the vacant storefront next oh. door to us was occupied by one of those storefront churches. Right. And on Saturdays, they had Saturday services. They would come in and they had the electric guitars and the organs and the drums and through the walls, the, the building was a shaken once they got going. <laughs> they were speaking in tongues. There was right. the whole thing. Praise him. Oh, praise fantastic. Him, the stomping of their feet. 
and uh, and sometimes the, the teenage kids would would ask if they could go through our place and then sneak out to the back where they could smoke weed right while their parents were in the in the church right that is very funny you know you you said something like it made you a little nervous about this idea of the church you know you've got good reason i watched a documentary that came out on netflix a few days ago and it's called stay sweet pray and obey and it's about the time period with um a certain part of the mormon church they were fundamentalists and you might remember in the 90s there was a huge raid where they took the kids out of the the church do you remember that they took all yeah. the kids out of the church and it, it stirred up a huge controversy because the moms were crying, the kids were crying, but there had been reports of sexual abuse. Um, unfortunately, they were not able to verify that right away. And the children, there was outrage. I felt like the kids shouldn't have been taken from their moms, even, even no matter what happened, it just seemed so traumatic. Um, you did need to find out the truth and it took a while, but this documentary starts about um, the kind of the beginning, I think his name was Rulaw, um, Jeffs, and he started this, um, faction or sect of Mormon church or Latter-day Saints, was it? I don't know what the difference is, to be honest with you. I really don't. So sorry, anybody. Um, and he had a church and they had several people in this documentary, you know, uh, they would testify, look, the church was fine with the dad. He was a great minister. We had a wonderful time. Yes, there was polygamy. I, I shared my husband with two other women, two other wives. We had a great life. We were, we were trying to make money and get by. And you're like, okay. And then when he was getting ill, his son Warren took over. And that's when it for sure went demented. I don't know what it was like before, but this documentary does follow the journey of the, of the FBI and the police eventually figuring out that there were sexual abuse um, events happening in this building. And he got arrested. Probably not sexual abuse from their point of view, but to outside society, sexual abuse. No, no, it was sexual abuse for, for any society. Well, I mean, I guess any any religious fanatic or abuser is never going to call it abuse. You're right. Well, I mean, there's... Uh, An abuser doesn't... There's places like Bountiful abusing. where where, you know, there's not only polygamy, but, but young girls being married. Um, well, yes. And that is against the law. It's called sexual abuse. It's, it is against the law but, because but, it's abusive. But they don't sexually. see it as sexual abuse. They see it well, as no. normal. I know the rapist doesn't see it as rape either. Right. You, there's a guy, he's raped somebody. You arrest him. He goes, she wanted it. So yeah, we can't go by their opinion. Yeah, but they know more <laughs> than you because because they got the direct line to, uh, to like God, right? Well, yeah. Oh, okay. On that way, he was saying that God said you should have several wives. Yes, and I suppose he thought God was telling him to rape twelve-year-olds. Um, I mean, we're talking about fourteen-year-old girls being raped by old men, oh, yeah. and even if they were being, it would seem less weird if it was maybe their own age group, but barely. It's so gross. It's the grossest thing. I don't know why I watched it. I wish I didn't. However, when it, I was, I did follow the story. Oprah went there to find out what was going on. She had a whole episode talking to the mothers. They're crying. We want our children back. And, um, but they eventually did get evidence. The guy had recorded the, the sexual abuse. Wow. Yeah. So they found tapes in the church. He had a creepy church bed altar that he was raping kids on. 
I mean, it's just, you can't uh, even believe it. Uh, I have difficulties with behavior that's based on, um, based on such an intense belief in a supernatural being uh, mm. guiding your behavior. Yeah. Um, but only you know the rules. Right. Right. And I, I, regardless of what the religion is, I have, I have some real difficulties with that. I getting my yeah. brain around that. You know, I remember seeing a documentary many years ago, I guess when we were in university and it might've been called the rattlesnake people. Oh, I'm not, I'm not sure, like but it was, it was a, a documentary about um, a religious sect in the American South. And one of the things that they do once they get themselves all worked up and they summon Jesus and he's there with them um, is they break out a box of rattlesnakes and they start passing around rattlesnakes. Oh, wow. And if you get bit, it's because you know it, God wants you to get bit. It sounds like population control. <laughs> and you better not go to the hospital because if God wants you to live, you'll be fine. But if yeah. God wants you to pass on, then you won't be. You don't need to go to no hospital. Right. right. And what you see in this documentary is the leader of this sect has got this rattlesnake and it just takes a chomp out of his arm and his arm blows up to like three times its size. But he hardly notices it because he's he's got the word. Right. Mm-hmm. Or does he have the antidote already? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I maybe don't he know snuck he a, maybe he snuck the antidote in his arm beforehand or something. I don't I don't know. I, uh, if if there's any cheating going on, hard right. to believe. Well, I am I'm almost like I am fascinated by this kind of stuff. I love it. Um, I'm not so much suspicious of it. Um, I don't feel suspicion. I feel like Many, many times, like with the polygamy, there's two places that practice polygamy in the world very uh, profoundly, and it, 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 it emerges with economic disparity and with economic strife, not everywhere, but definitely one place is in Utah and one place is in Russia. And that's where polygamy is written in. Um, they get rid of the boys. They don't want them to compete for mating. They don't want them to compete for jobs. Um, but if you asked anybody in those communities, it would be unlikely they would say that. So when you see the rattlesnake, there's something like many parts of fundamentalism or taboos or rituals and customs, they have economic base. They have an economic reason that supports their usage. Um, it, it's, you know, everybody will say, oh, well, you can't eat pork. It's, it's uh, banned in some religions. Well, it's not banned because of its, um, because pigs are dirty. It's banned because pigs destroy the riverbeds. And in, in areas where you depend on the trees and grasses to protect the riverside, um, you don't want the, the, those animals tearing it up. You don't get enough meat to justify the loss of uh, riverside life and protection. So you make it a taboo. Um, I'm not afraid of gods telling us to do things. But um, you to, know, to, I, to I, quote, I don't turn down many gods. <laughs> to, to, to quote uh, yes. John Travolta uh -huh. in Pulp Fiction. Yes. But bacon is good. Yes, bacon is good. Pork that's chops right. are good. Yes, that's true. And I think, doesn't he say, oh, no, they're dirty or something like that. But that's not why we ban 
We don't ban them because of that. We ban it because they're not economically viable in certain regions, uh, particularly in the Fertile Crescent, where the water sources are very fragile and environmentally challenged. Uh, we don't ban cows because um, they're particularly magical. We ban cows because it's more economically viable to use their milk than to kill the cow. So we make them sacred. And that way we eat their, we use their milk, make cheese or cream products, and we don't eat their meat. Because we, we can feed more of us if we keep them alive and eat their the protein in milk. You know, our usual theme song at the start of our podcast is mm. a, it's a, a tune called Wild Hog in Yonder's Woods. There you go. And uh, it has lyrics like, there's a wild hog in Yonder's Woods. Diddle I dumb, diddle I day. Uh, and it's all about... Um, it's all about getting this wild hog who hunts men down and drinks their blood. And so oh. they want to, sh- they want to shoot the wild hog in the, in, wow. in what in year the- is that from? Oh, it's old. It, it comes to us from, um, from a British song. That's really very old. Oh. And the lyrics just evolved from, wow. um, from their original state to, uh, mm. to the way it's, it's performed in places like Virginia and North Carolina mm. West Virginia. Cool. Hey, you know what? I had a dream. I had a dream with you and it the other night. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. um, it was a weird dream. You know, I had an aunt who had dreams and you didn't want to be in them because bad things happen. <laughs> Am well, I okay I, being in your dream? I I'm think just going to so. ask right now. I think it was a benign. I don't think there was anything horrible in it. Okay. It was profoundly cinematic, though. Um, we were in Miami. And for some reason, we were in this condo building. And then we found ourselves going through this woman's apartment and we kind of realized it's almost like we were looking to buy it. And um, she had passed away and we found out she'd actually passed away in the apartment. Her husband had died a year or two earlier. I don't know what kind of backstory that is. And I don't know why that was important to me in my dream. But what really stood out was we're looking at the place and the colors were insane. So she had piano lacquer furniture right? Everything was the shiny piano lacquer, even if it was a bureau, if it was a, a bar stool, whatever, all in bright pastels. And that's what really struck me. And then we were like, well, I don't think we want to stay here. Then um, we don't want to live here or something. We don't want to be in this room in this part. And mm-hmm. then we went to another building, but it was like a tenement, a New York tenement building, very shabby, and um, in the bathroom, in the shower stall, particularly, but all over the bathroom were this family of cats and kittens. <laughs> I have no idea what this means, but you and I were very concerned about leaving the cats. We don't want to leave the cats. Well, We've got to keep those cats or do we, let's get the food. Let's, let's get someone to bring them food. And then the third part of it was that we went to this warehouse and in the warehouse was tons and tons of, it seemed a bit more like Cat food of the what? No, no, more furniture and tchotchkes that seemed as if they would have come out of the era of this condo that we'd first looked at. And then we realized everyone could help themselves to whatever they wanted in it because it was all left over from people who had passed away in Miami in their condos and their families didn't want it. They weren't even going to charge for it, just take it. And we were like, well, I don't think there's anything in here for us. So I don't know what that means, but why would I dream about you? And would that be about the podcast? Would that be about us talking about the podcast? 
Would that be about what we're going to do when I get in town in Toronto? Do you symbolize something else to me? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a little afraid. <laughs> I know. Well, don't be afraid. Nobody died except the people that died. <laughs> right. Well, they, we didn't... Uh, to our to our listeners, yes. if you have a dream and you'd like to tell us your dream right. on our podcast, just send us a note to the agency.podcast at gmail.com and tell us why you want to be on the podcast to tell us your dream. And we'll think about it. Good idea. I still have a couple other things I want to tell you about. I want you to try. I I listen. You know, you know, I I listen to the podcast, my favorite murder. And they just talk about different murders. Okay. Well, it's really super cool. They had Keith Morrison on this week. Do you know Keith Morrison? Mm -hmm. He's the 30 year. Well, he used to host uh, morning TV in Toronto and I used to watch him all the time. Oh yeah. 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 Yes. And then he moved to Dateline about 30 years ago. So way before all these true crime podcasts, way before, you know, the trend in like these documentaries on Netflix, there was Keith Morrison leaning on a fence telling us about a darkly haunted town where murder took over Wow! and his specific voice. So what was crazy was that these girls, that um, these women who have this uh, podcast, it was so exciting that they had Keith Morrison on and they call the episode, the thing about Keith Morrison. Because he had a show called The Thing About Pam. And now that has been made into a fictionalized uh, Netflix show. I think it's on Netflix or Prime, uh, where they remade the podcast. Is there any gruesome crime that's safe? (laughs) You know, from somebody saying, hey, we could do a true crime show. I know. Well, you know what? I am going to go back to this difference in gender with the bands. Because there's a huge part of, you know, just like there might be culture that maybe really appeals to guys there is a whole part of the culture that predominantly is being consumed by females and dateline is one of them so dateline is really predominantly um supported obsessed about and watched by women uh just like the real housewives the real housewives franchise whether it's in beverly hills or new york huge female audience and gay and gay but huge female audience Um, and you know, I guess because we're the victims, um, we're the ones who are involved in the, in the arguments with women among women in the real housewives and all the politics and social kind of, it's like selling sunset. So you would know real housewives is not dissimilar to selling sunset. You've got a lot of affluence, recent money acquired, and this need to figure out what's my social standing. And that's, yeah. you know, that's a thing that's, it, that can be a big part of growing up female is that you're trying to figure out what kind of a woman do I want to be? I mean, I'm sure men do that too, but women were like, well, what kind of friend do I want to be? Do I want to be this kind of a friend or a backstabber or a gossip or, or mind games or a queen bee, you know? And if you're me, you don't want any of that. You want to just be as sincere as possible. I take my friendships very seriously. I, I consider myself a very devoted, loyal friend and, and I work on it. And if I make mistakes, I try to fix them and I try to be a great friend. And then when it comes to Dateline, obviously we're the one, it's most of it is murdered women. So you do have this compulsion as a female, I think, to want to know what's going on here. How could this happen? And, you know, the, the stories are compelling. It's the really, really root of, it gets really, really, really to a part of humanness, to a human condition. Not for the good, of course. 
and you see all the suffering of the victims. It's not really just about murder. It's really about how hard this life is and how do I make, how do I, how do I come through this? If you have, if you have someone murdered in your family or you, you know, it doesn't just affect the family. It affects all the cities and all the neighborhoods. You know, I meant to say last yes. week that Sheila and I started watching the documentary that Staircase was based on. Oh, I've seen it. Yeah, I saw it when it came out. Why did they bother with a fictionalized account? The documentary is riveting. It is riveting, isn't it's it? It's ten times better. Well, it is really, really good. I think what I was—I didn't know because why they you, did you it watch either. the guy age. You watch—I mean, you I watch know. his real. You know, know, screwed up family. Yeah. You're not just watching fictionalized versions of it. I know, right? You're seeing his actual lawyer and the that the, the stuff they have footage of is stunning. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I went back and watched it again. Well, since watching this myself, I went back and I was like, oh, I'm so glad I'm watching it again because he's really hard to believe, isn't he? Yeah. And the thing is, I am pulled to having weird sympathy with him. I almost fall for him because he is kind of compelling and, and consistent yet, as well and consistent yeah right. i mean he kept really his same story for years he really years, is years, one of years. the he's one of the greatest liars on the planet he has to be uh, the oscar goes to michael peterson um you know he and um you know but he also was he's a guy company. who has like a he has a really profound secret life yes that was a really big thing with him i mean yes. i think everybody has some version of secret oh, lives the places you go when really? you're when you're just alone or don't, oh. don't you do i think everybody has that yeah i don't i don't know i don't i think everybody I, I has would, their own special place that nobody else sees don't we want to be seen there too though i don't know i guess i you know, I know coming, but he had a really profound secret life. yes he, he had is, this whole this whole gay thing or bisexual yes. thing going on i mean he is really diametrically opposed opposite to me because you know i've said this many times with you in recovery culture you're only as sick as your secrets so you don't want to have those secrets you want to at least if you go either to your therapist or to an aa group you do want to face it goes back to to um mary j bly and, and puff when they were so brokenhearted in their 20s making that album Really, that brokenhearted is also a metaphor for the brokenheartedness they have of their childhood wounds. It's not just that some guy broke up with you. That, that wouldn't be so bad if you still had your father in your life and you still had your mother and you were able to communicate and you weren't on drugs. Um, and the drugs are hiding the childhood wounds. So, yes, Michael Peterson was never going to come out of his secrets. He is as sick as his secrets and he has many of them. I, I think so. I, I and to what are the fucking chances of two women dying on a stairwell? It's really creepy. The, I mean, right. the whole story is really creepy. Right. He's so one, really creepy. He's yeah. very compelling to watch, and he he's just like, oh, I can't watch him. But you keep watching him, right? Yes, yes, yes. I think what's really incredible about the the staircase is is two things. Tony Collette having have you get to have her be in the story. The, the dead wife gets to be in the story. And I think that's really good. And second, I mean, and Colin, all the cast is incredible. The they're cast is great, really, for sure. They're all really good actors. Like, and, I mean, Colin Firth, at, what, at one point, he he was a spitting image, too. He talked the same so way. Weird. He I looked know. like him. I know. Um, but I think as Michael Peterson aged, it changed. 
Yeah, I guess Colin couldn't do that physically. I yes. mean, he does, though. Did you watch the last episode of the fictionalized one? Uh, I think so. Yeah, because that's where he does do the Alford plea. And he does um, reject the uh, editor, the French editor. He sends her away. And, you know, maybe he hit the wall. Maybe he couldn't have any more secrets. Maybe he couldn't have any more secret life. You know, I, I imagine. Or that- maybe she got in the way of his secret life. Yeah, maybe, maybe she ready. interfered. Yeah, and he had he had a big he had to protect it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what a royal asshole! Arrogant, scummy. I just can't stand him. <laughs> How do you really feel? <laughs> and um, I, I just feel- wanted to mention that I, we did see the you know several episodes of the, oh yeah, uh, it's so the documentary, I- and it was I found it riveting. Yeah, much more too. so than the the fictionalized account. Yeah, the fictionalized. I just have a different feeling about watching the. It's just a different feeling yes. for me. The 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 one that I, the way I felt when I watched the documentary was they really lead you on to believe that maybe this was an accident. It's not until later when you find out that there was a woman in Germany who died on the stairs that was friends with them that you're like what, what the hell. Now, and the lawyer in that series, in the documentary, says, did he copy the murder? Did he copy that death to make this murder? Or did he do both of them? Did he murder both women? And why did he murder that one in Germany? Did he have an affair with her husband? Did he? Who knows? And, or because they he, just give you enough of a taste of the secret life that, that you think anything could be true, but you don't know what's true. Right. Now, the facts do say that he got $80,000 from her. A life insurance policy from the woman in Germany. It's hard hmm. not to imagine that that didn't mean something to him in 1984. That's well, a chunk follow, of money in 1984. Follow the money is... Follow uh, the money. Yeah. Is what you got to do in... Yeah. in, uh, in in these crime shows, I think. Yeah, so I do think he killed the first one. And I, I do think he killed the second one. The other thing I like about the, the fictionalized part is that they have more information they gave us than the, the filmmakers. The filmmakers never told us that he was with the editor of the film. Um, and to me, that is a massive conflict of interest. Second, they didn't. they got to play out three different deaths in the fictionalized version. They actually got Toni Morrison's incredible acting. She got to die three times, right? Where they showed the owl. They showed her falling on the steps, how it could have been and how it could have been if he killed her. And I I think that was, you know, pretty interesting. Gruesome, but interesting. Mm. Um, Yeah, so I'm glad you started watching the documentary. It's Gruesome, but interesting makes for great podcast topics. I know. It's so sad. Okay, so something else I want to refresh our memory. I've got two other notes here. I don't want to forget three notes here. I don't want to forget about one is that um, Terry had left us a Facebook message. So I want us to both try to figure out how we're going to watch Slow West and the Homesman. And then there's three movies coming out in the theaters that I'm going nuts. I'm so excited about. They are Elvis. Yes, we want to see that too. I mean, do you not think that right now Graceland is coming in their pants? Like they must be so excited that there's an Elvis movie because when uh, the last time oh, there's a in, whole industry around Elvis, there, exactly. it's going to revitalize it for sure. But, but how? Yes, because when we were there before, we I was last there. What um, 
a year ago in spring, April last year. And I still was like, there were some people there, it was pandemic, but I wondered, is this the last times we're going to see people come to Graceland? Because who cares about Elvis anymore? If, if kids don't want to go to big Anthem Rock shows and they're, you know, life changes, um, are they not going to go to Graceland when they grow up? So I think right now, Graceland must be, yay! There's going to be a whole new field of... You know, uh, they, they've kept the Elvis industry going. Yes. I was 17 when Elvis died. Yeah. And I remember this because um, I had spent the summer, uh, I took part in a program in Ontario called Junior Rangers, where okay. basically you work in a provincial park for the summer. Mm -hmm. Sheila mm -hmm. did it too, actually. Yeah, that's, she that's was a different crazy. provincial park. Yeah. Um, and when I came back, I went with an old school buddy of mine um, who I've known since, oh, we were like five years old, who mm. now I believe lives in Dubai. Mm. And oh. uh, we went to see Sha Na Na play. <laughs> cool. Uh, you remember Sha Na Na? Of course. Uh, yeah. Um, so we went, they were playing at the old Ontario Plays Forum back in the days when it, when it revolved. Mm. And they came on and there was something was off. Something was really weird, but I didn't know what it was. Hmm. Well, they had just found out that Elvis died. Oh no. Well, I mean, their whole, their whole deal needed yeah. Elvis. Right. Yeah. And, and so one of them just came out and said, um, we just want to dedicate this show to the person without whom none of what we do would ever be possible. Wow. And then I think they did, uh, Marie's the name of his latest flame, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It was really, it was quite moving. Yeah, that's crazy timing. Yeah. I mean, of all the bands to be seen, that one's perfect. Um, yeah, so Elvis, directed by Boz Lerman. His partner does all the costumes for all his films. I'm a huge fan of his movies. The Great Gatsby, Moulin Rouge, Strictly Come Dancing, Strictly Ballroom, I think. And the other movies, Top Gun, I can't wait to see it, and Jurassic Park. So that's anticipation. So those are five anticipated movies. And then there's a series come out and I haven't watched it yet. It's called Pistol. Pistol. And it's about the sex pistols. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where is and it streaming? I don't know. I think it's on FX station. And I don't mm. know if we can stream that or rent it or what. Mm, so we're going to have to try and check it. that out. And um, apparently I'm the fashion is to die for. I'm going to try to see Top Gun. I heard that Tom Cruise does his own stunts, so I wanted to go. <laughs> I, 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 I gave that to you. You're welcome. <laughs> I, uh, I haven't had a chance to, uh, to see it yet. I don't know if I could do Jurassic Park. I mean, no. once, like, one Jurassic Park. I, okay, I'm going to grant you this. Paddington 2 may well have been better than Paddington 1. Okay? I'm okay. giving you that. All right. But All I'm right. sorry. How many Jurassic Park movies have already <laughs> they had with dinosaurs running around killing people? I right? I mean, what could they possibly do? Yeah. I, mean, well, I remember Jeff Goldblum was in one of those. Yes, he's in this one too. Yeah, you, gotta really, wow. you have to really love dinosaurs to go to it. Or Jeff Goldblum. And Godzilla. <laughs> I mean, it's essentially a, a monster movie, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited about all that upcoming um, movies and TV shows and stuff. And Slow West and The Homesman, we have to see. Yes, yes. Let's really try and watch that for uh, next week. We'll try. All right, great. Well. Well, we need some, we need some mail. We need some email, please, please. Tell us your dreams. Yeah. 
it would be very about. cool if if we had 10 people call up oh god okay and say or or email us and say okay i want to come on and tell you my dream yeah. and we recorded 10 dreams and just yes. played them back yes. to back that's that what would we want to really do great podcast we need your dreams art. performance art yes all right so start dreaming people start dreaming dream big dream you okay love you everybody bye bye <laughs>